Yeah, yeah. Are you ready? We got, we got big, we got big uh, te testosterone energy over here today. Who is? Okay, you're gonna start the episode. All right, come here, talk close to this Wait, guy. Is it on? Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which can right. we? We're one, recording. Okay. One, two, three. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to Fox Always See Packers. Good passy guys, bad bad things say. Good good passy guys, got Nate Erie in the house. Whoa, special guest Bethany Shea and Nate Erie in the house. The boy yep. is back. Yes, <laughs> I know you've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> I'm finally here. The ratings, they're about to go back to the roof. <laughs> yeah, we've had a dip in ratings, so we, we asked Nate to come home for the weekend. Honey, man, I'm, so, just, I'm saving the podcast once again. Yes, and we're just grateful we put a shirt on. Seth, Yeah. who's here today? Bethany. Bethany and? Nate. And Nate. Woo! What are we going to do today, son? Huh? What are we going to do today? Let's do... Uh... What should we do? Drum roll, please. Drum roll, please. Yeah, we'll do Sethi's theme song. Mr. Nate. Watch and then Stranger Nate. Things, baby. That's what we're doing. Yeah. That's right. Recording this July 1st. Let's go. Yeah. Seth jumping right now. Yeah. Nate Erie is just looking at himself, <laughs> thinking, man, just I got chaos. great hair. I look good this morning. This You're is good. Yes, this is what's happening. You, yeah, I don't I don't know that like breakdown <laughs> of like chaotic good, chaotic neutral, whatever. Um, but whatever this is, this is chaotic. Mm -hmm. I don't know what word you put <laughs> after that. You know what I'm saying? Tell them, Sefi. Kayak. Kayak. Okay, perfect. All right, Seth, you want to say anything to the people? <laughs> yeah. What do you want to say? Uh, Tim. Yeah. yeah. Hey, too. And Nate, too. Yeah, and Nate, too. Nate, what do you want to say Guys, to the people? I love you. I miss you. I'm sorry you got to deal with, with my father here. I know. You all wish <laughs> it could be me. <laughs> Hit my theme song. What's up, everybody? You know what time it is. It's Nate. Play my theme song. Yeah. I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, that that intro, I don't know that that's ever going to be topped. There was no. so much. There was a lot of energy. There was there was late teenage in, uh, energy. There was early teenage energy. There was Down syndrome energy. And then there was a man who's very confident in his own skin energy. And so it was like a Lake Erie hurricane. Yeah, it was a it was a perfect storm, if you will. Um, Bethany, hello. Hi. Yay. How, this is awesome. How are you? I'm doing really good. Thanks for asking. How are happy you? Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> it I was mean, a, it's a lovely celebration. A, lo uh, a lovely. I, lovely. I got, I, I went out to dinner and that was exactly what I wanted. Just somebody else cooking a good meal for me. So it was perfect. Oh, I like, yeah. What was dinner? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Tell. I went to a restaurant that I really enjoy and I wanted to get something that I don't usually get. Ooh. So I ordered the king crab legs. It was a half pound. Whoa. And I Whoa. guess I... I guess I don't know the measurement of, of weight because it was on a plate this big and there were <laughs> there were two tiny pieces like this and two small other pieces like this and just one little claw. And that's all there oh. was for half pound and I was starving yeah. afterwards. That, so. They yeah. include they yeah. include the plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the plate. I think, I think so because the plate was enormous and it was full of ice and I'm just like, okay, well now, I'm, now it's like yeah. a tiny little meal. But yeah. it was still yeah. really lovely. Well, well, I'm glad to hear that. And you... You sound like you're kind of a low-key birthday celebrator. 
Yes. Yes. And my birthday falls in between my, my son's birthdays. So we've got yeah. one on the 20, 26th, mine's the 28th of June, and then my other son is the 30th. So I'm kind of sandwiched between the two, which is exactly what I'd rather have. Yes. I can kind of skate, like just skirt right under. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yes. Because they're not focused. They're not focused on mom's birthday yet. They're just, <laughs> no. they're all about, yeah. Yeah. And totally. what's your husband's birthday? Uh, April 26th. And then I have a daughter whose birthday is October 30th. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see you. I see yeah. what's happening. Yeah. And now uh, we have three teenagers in the house since my youngest son yesterday turned 13. So it's uh, oh, wow. yep. all sorts of hormones and emotions and drama and um, anger, a lot of anger yeah. in, in my home. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah, for me. Just, I'm not angry. And that's you. That's just, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not, I, I, I kind of try to rise above until I'm in my own little space or going for a run and trying to get it all out. But yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, so Bethany, we have, we, and, and you know this already, but for the listener's sake, we, um, Tim and I were recording or planning to record an episode. The decision about Roe v. Wade uh, drops. We go on without any sort of thought or preparation and record an episode, which, you know, not always the smartest thing to do. And not not shocking, people, of course, had reactions and opinions of their own. And um, and so we're just, I just want to read real quick some of the, um, some of the messages that we got because they're always helpful. Um, one one uh, young lady, said that I have a spot of nuance for your concerns about the comments that you're seeing, like now the real work of pro-life begins. I think some moderate people are maybe progressive Christians. And we were, we were, you know, fussing about that mm -hmm. saying, mm -hmm. uh, but, but she's saying maybe some uh, moderate people or progressive Christians are saying things like this to help people remember that pro-life Christians cannot feel like, Hey, we won. So now our work is done. And, um, and she said, I've said, you know, the, the idea of like, now the work begins to remind them that actually how we help babies is to help mothers and take care of their families. So is it possible that some people were waiting for a political process? But I also think a lot of people are trying to gently slash politely redirect the conversation. Am I making sense? And we say, that's a great nuance. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That, yeah. that the, that the, um, the statement now the work begins isn't just a and and i was reacting to hearing it from people for whom this was a victory like this mm -hmm. was the finish line mm -hmm. and so i was reacting in that context but she she raises a, another great context of saying oh no, no no um it's a great reminder that if you're really concerned about this issue like beyond its political capital and control value then um then then there, there have to, there have to be, ha, there has to be. Excuse me, a massive investment in infrastructure to care for women in difficult circumstances. Do we, are we agree in agreement with this nuance? If so, say aye. 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 <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no, but I mean, absolutely. I think that um, that this is when we think of it as a win, or when many people think of it as a win, it's it's only a win in a very small way, it is actually just the start of what needs to change in our country. And honestly, in some ways, I feel like it's the cart before the horse, uh, the, the mm. change, the change needed to come first. And, um, and I'm, and I'm fearful 
that the change will not come now because the wins already happened. Yeah. Oh, so it just, oh. it, yeah, it feels like, it feels like we can just like relax. And when I say we, I, I shouldn't say we, it feels like, uh, classically pro-life Christians in this country can just relax and feel like they've done their part and they're done now, um, instead of stepping to the plate and actually caring for the most vulnerable in our community. Um, but I mean, obviously there's, there's still a fight for some people with the more progressive states like California and making sure that abortion is stopped in California even, or whatever the next fight will be. Um, but the problem is, is I think the fight is in the, it's misplaced. It's a misplaced fight. Mm. Tim, do you agree with that? I. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's really the concern, Bethany. I think you have just nailed it that, um, this was almost the easier work. Um, well, we didn't even do anything on this one. It was the Supreme Court overturned a bit. I mean, it's like, talk about taking victories without any work whatsoever. Well, but that, just, was the reason, that was the reason that people would kind of hold their nose and vote for the former president. Right. Is for this reason. Like, yep. So there was a lot of energy, I think, provided by uh, the ideal of this you know this political victory mm. and uh but i think that's so that's so good that's almost the easier one and some people i know would disagree and say no no we've been fighting for this for 50 years yep um but that's what the but, nuance thing gets really interesting because i don't mean to pick at it but i will for a second the it, we are already like we just we spin out on the weirdest things and now it's like that's a spin out on a definition of now the work begins and that becomes mm-hmm. a conversation argument rather than again doing the work that it's just every we're just so easily distracted and and put into like we get caught up in these little eddies of easier or distracting conversations rather than just being like let's just go actually tackle the problem here mm-hmm. yeah like let's debate the definition of something for the next six months and then we'll debate the definition of something else or I don't know. Yeah. No, I very distracted people. Mm. Yeah. Oh, Ukraine. Is there still a war going on? (laughs) I know. As we talked about that last week, I have the notes from that sitting up from last week. And it's like, you know, I mentioned that the working with those families that are still trying to get out of Afghanistan. And that's like, that's way up. That's not even on the back burner. That's not even on the stove anymore of a conversation. But those yeah. families are still running for their lives and they have nothing. They're they mm. left with nothing. They have nothing when they arrive. And it's like these families of like six, seven, lots of children. And they're just like landing in random countries, Pakistan or even coming here. And they don't, they're arriving with nothing or they're missing family members. They're yeah. still behind that They don't have contact with anymore. It's like, that's still happening all the time. Yeah. Yep. Um, Here's someone else that wrote in, and um, she has a lot, uh, a lot of really good points to make. And so we'll, I'll just start reading, and then you guys kind of interrupt. But I asked her permission because there's some personal stuff in here, mm-hmm. and uh, she said sure. She said, um, uh, "I'm having a hard time with the celebration around this court decision." I do understand the belief that image bearing starts at conception. I'm not sure if I believe that or not. I certainly did when I carried my three very wanted pregnancies. 
I've worked for 17 years in early intervention with children from uh, birth to three with developmental delays and or disabilities. And prior to that, I worked in a school with children on the autistic spectrum and children classified as having multiple disabilities. When I was in high school and college, I worked at a local program uh, for after school during summer that was for children with special needs to have opportunities to socialize, be in the community. Uh, many of the kids I worked with were not verbal, and some had limited and no control over their bodies. And I had connections with each of them, and they had connections um, each with me. All of the children I've worked with over the years are special and able to contribute something to the world. So hallelujah for you, young lady, for working with, uh, with kids like my son. I just am mm. thrilled for people who have so much compassion for them. Mm. However, many of the families uh, that I worked with had support. And when you have support, anything is possible. I am blessed with a large village uh, to help uh, raise my children. Not everyone has that. Not everyone has support. Um, so I guess when I hear, I'm happy there will be fewer abortions, and this is a really good point. She says, uh, so w when I hear that I'm happy there will be fewer abortions, while I understand the sentiment, I also hear the unsaid part which is there will be more unwanted children. Our society is not communal. There are not just enough support in, supports in place to handle an influx of babies who cannot be or will not be raised by their birth parents. And all I can see right now is how much neglect those children will face. Even as a parent who desperately wants a child, we all, all make mistakes and cause some level of emotional rupture in our children. Tim, I'm sorry, that, is, that includes you. Um, we were generally able to repair that. I don't know that it is loving or respecting an image barrier to bring them into a situation where they will not be cared for. So the concern here is, so if you restrict abortion, uh, there, there will be more unwanted children. And that is a different kind of harm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. She goes on. Uh, so I guess instead of feeling glad that there will be fewer abortions, what I really wish is that we could talk about fewer unwanted pregnancies, but I don't ever hear Christians talking about it. Or if I do, it is the idea that abstinence until marriage is the way to avoid unwanted pregnancies. Mind you, you can have unwanted pregnancies in a marriage. Uh, I'm not sure why sex is such an uncomfortable thing for Christians to talk about. Oh, they talk about it. It's just um, <laughs> in very weird, weird ways. Um, I've had three wanted, tried for pregnancies I have two children who I love beyond measure. My first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage very early on. I had just enough time to get excited, tell our families, go for the first ultrasound, and then see the look of concern from the lab tech who couldn't review the results with me, and finally seeing a doctor who would do the ultrasound himself. Um, I started ble bleeding the day of my next appointment. The doctor confirmed my miscarriage. He gave me the option for a D and C to ease the comfort of the miscarriage. Uh, and what and reviewed some of what I should expect during the procedure. I opted to miscarry naturally, and I'm not sure it is because of my relationship with God, because I don't know that I believe abortion is a sin, or because I was just holding on to the shred of hope that the doctor was wrong. Mm. Clearly, he wasn't. I passed my embryo and blood for six weeks straight. I had to go to the doctor again uh, weekly for blood work to make sure my pregnancy hormones were coming down. I had horrible depression. Um, we had to wait three months to try again. I don't regret, regret my choice to miscarry naturally, but I know I wouldn't choose it again. Hmm. And then here's her point, or one of them. I lament for the women who will not have those options. 
women who will have to carry stillborn fetuses and answer the questions from strangers about when they are due and what they are having. Women whose water will break at 20 weeks and must either risk sepsis if their bodies do not go into active labor or try to travel last minute to another state. Mm -hmm. Women who have complicated pregnancies and must wait for the embryo to develop in the fallopian tube until it bursts and damages their body or worse. I lament for women who are unable who are in unsafe relationships and find themselves pregnant. I lament for women who feel so much despair about their pregnancy that they take their own life. I lament for babies born to families who do not want them and who are unprepared to raise them. I lament for social service workers who will have higher caseloads and a harder time feeling successful in reaching everyone with whom they're trying to help. Yes, there will be fewer abortions, but there will be a cost in life for both women and babies that so many are trying to save from abortion. Whew. Wow. Yeah. It's excellent. Yeah. Things is a things is a guy that don't enter. I mean, I can't imagine the miscarriage. Uh, I, I know because I have friends how painful that is, but I don't know what kind of from the inside, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. There's this massively hidden cost. Any thoughts you guys want to add to that? I just, I appreciate all the nuance that she was bringing in. I, th- I feel like um, so much of this is painted into a black and white perspective that, um, yeah, that, that it's just, it's just like a talking point. These are real human beings, real women that are suffering and experiencing trauma within their bodies. Um, and the last thing they need is more shame heaped on them or uh, a perspective that says that what's happening in their bodies is some sort of sin if they don't respond to it in the way that um, is now required. And that's really, I mean, that's just trauma heaped on trauma. It's hard to process that, especially if you don't have a community of people or a support system or people who yeah. love you. Yeah. A lot of times yeah. it's an incredibly lonely and isolating experience mm. for women um, that adds to even more mental health issues, suicidal tendencies, um, feelings of hopelessness in, in a really already impossible situation. So mm. I like mm. that she brought some nuance into that. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. Just a couple more. Tim, did you, did you want to say anything there? The, no, I mean, I, again, thank you for sharing this and I can't, I have no frame of reference to mm-hmm. this at all. She had one thing I was trying to look for it where she said that we don't live in a, our world is not communal or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that is such a profound statement that, because I think that Americans and especially Christian Americans, we really put forward this idea that we are this really connected group of people. Um, but I don't think that we are necessarily, I think Americans are very, uh, isolated and very, what's the word, um, independent Mm -hmm. and you, and that's such a huge piece of the puzzle, like to go through something like this and not feel like you actually have, she may have an immediate tribe around her but that idea of not living in a communal society is a really heavy Mm. huge thing to make you feel so isolated and so cornered 
It's just yeah. a really intense. I read an article too from a who was a nurse. She was talking about how she had a patient, and I can't remember exactly what was happening during the pregnancy, but it was going south fast. And this was in the last week or two, and hmm. the doctor had to call. He had to get on the phone with the lawyer to figure out what he could do or could not do while this woman was suffering hmm. and dying. And he was on the phone for hours with a lawyer trying to find a way around like take like helping this woman because they were afraid that they were all gonna go to like, get <laughs> prosecuted because of what was, you know, what needed to be done. And finally after hours and hours he was able to to help the woman. But it's like I, I wish that people I don't I don't yeah, whatever. We'll get to that kind of stuff. But <laughs> it's just very it's just a lot. And then, uh, this is the I mean <laughs> I don't mean this disrespectfully, but this is the flesh and blood of this conversation. And yeah. mm-hmm. it's, this is what gets missed in all the rhetoric that people are throwing around everywhere, including yeah. people like me when I get riled up and yeah, I'm pointing fingers and yelling about stuff. I'm also missing the flesh and blood of the conversation. Mm. Um, there were, there were a couple of um, pieces of feedback we got that um, were kind of, lamenting our lament about this um i think i you succeeded in missing the entire point <laughs> which man are we capable of roe v wade established at established as a constitutional right the choice to murder there are no other rights ensconced in law that half the country and god see as evil um none it was a court error. The error has been corrected. That's why I'm tickled about it. These kinds of errors cause extreme damage to the fabric of the nation and to people's thinking. Correcting the damage done may be a lifetime, but it could not happen at all if the error itself is not corrected. It is uh, like Jesus to care for all and to seek help. It is not like Jesus to ignore the single biggest reason for abortions, immorality. Promiscuity is real. It seems to me the church could start being salt and light by taking a pretty firm stance on that issue. Unless, of course, it offends somebody, then we should uh, back off and soft pedal. So that was one comment. Another one said, uh, we have to stick to what God's word says. Please speak truth. The Lord creates every soul knitted in their mother's womb. And then uh, another comment was, I was shocked to hear Mike mourn the passing of a law that will save millions of lives. Feels like Mike is more about trying to get people to like him rather than represent God and his will. It is a sad slide to watch. And if you've ever seen me slide, I agree. That is not, <laughs> that is not something you ever, you ever want to look at. So, so a, couple, a couple of thoughts. I mean, first of all, I, I very much respect um, and appreciate uh, the value of life. We've said this like for seven years now, like passionately. My When my son was diagnosed with Down syndrome in the womb, we were given the option to abort the pregnancy. And we ferociously and vociferously said, heck no, man. And in fact, one of the things that was heartbreaking to us are how often kids with Down syndrome are aborted um, uh, just, uh, just sort of without even thinking about it. It's sort of an automatic decision for people. Um, so I'm very, very passionate about pro- being pro-life. Um, I just think being pro-life is much bigger than being um, anti-abortion. And I think part of the lament 
comes and part of the conflict comes from yes i'm i'm grateful for the lives of the unborn that will come into the world but um jesus as you would say dear commenter would care for all including the weight and strain of um this on women and um and so i'm not i i think that um and i i'm no expert in constitutional law maybe bethany is because she does about everything but um i don't know whether roe was a correct decision or not or overreach or i have no idea about those sorts of things um not anyway my my area of expertise but i do think that um having people understand the christian story is a story that's motivated to control other people is not a Christian story we want to tell. And so I do mourn for that. Absolutely. And and to say that promiscuity is the issue, well, that's true. Absolutely. And Jesus does talk about it. The issue is taking a firm moral stance on promiscuity when our own house is such a piece of garbage about this issue. I'm not sure we have anything to say on the matter. So, okay. Um, so I don't know. I don't know that I, I buy that um that this was just a legal issue and hey good the legal issue was corrected and if jesus would deal with promiscuity and the church would be more anti-promiscuity we have been uh except the whole time people were engaging in promiscuity among the, in the church so i don't <laughs> just not sure rhetoric. that's the yeah yeah exactly exactly what you were talking about before right it's just more talk and very easy for this is a dude very easy for dudes to just see this in that very narrow focus of yes it's a constitutional issue um and miss all the nuance that the previous emailer and bethany would bring into the table yeah, yeah. The, sorry, oh, go, go ahead. ahead oh i, I was first. just gonna say the the whole like debating of the terms and trying to uh, make it into like a, a winning team and a losing team i think is just a really good distraction for people who don't know or don't want to engage in like the difficult parts of what it means to be human. And mm -hmm. when we separate things like that into black and white issues, it creates two different camps. And I, I don't know, I, I see the enemy as like the great divider. The enemy is always wanting to keep people divided in those two separate groups because you know, that keeps people from like seeing the other as the enemy and one that's side right. is right that's and right. the other side is wrong. Um, and that's the, the, the pull with that is that we can always blame the other side for all the problems in the world while seeing ourselves as, you know, doing yeah. the right thing. But it also allows us to neglect the needs of others because of our own righteous beliefs. So cool. if I've got the right side, then I don't need to care about what's happening over there because they had it wrong in the first place. And so, man, the enemy is so good at dividing human beings and dividing the church into two different camps. And um, and then we can just point fingers and believe that we're doing just fine. Yeah, it seems like very easy work on <laughs> yeah. the behalf of whoever or whatever it is that is causing that division. Like it's... yeah it's we just love having an enemy or an opposition and i think it's like you said too like especially when you tie righteousness into it mm. um on both sides that you know it, it becomes a such a easy pedestal to look down on the other side from mm. the other thing too i was thinking about the promiscuity thing is like you know you see a lot of those memes fly around about um men and um 
and they're all true but they're but you get the the truth or the like facts of it get lost in the shuffle but i was seeing something you know there was a meme that was going around about like you know women can only have one baby a year whereas men can produce thousands and you it, it kind of passes by in your feed then i but i stopped yesterday and i was just looking at it, i was thinking about it a little bit more and so i went and researched just a little bit so this could anyone can call out and email in whatever but oh they will and they, and they will they will that women can only get pregnant one to one to I, there was different um all, I've read a few articles and they all said something a little bit different, but it was somewhere between one, some of them said one day a month and some said six and there was varying days within there. So let's just say six, whereas men can produce a thousand plus babies in a year if, you know, they were just going, going at it. But the, the, the promiscuity thing is so interesting within that framework of just, it's just, this is just not a, a male conversation this entire conversation is about women yep. and the amount of the amount of like i i down to like you know just the abortions or just down i don't know it's it's such a terrible posture to hold and i, I don't i think a lot of people don't even hold it intentionally it's just that women are the only ones that can have abortions women are the only ones that will ever be in need of something like that so this conversation has nothing to do with men Whereas men are just like, you know, from the promise, just from the promiscuity angle alone could curb this conversation to a, to a completely moot point. Like just in responsibility of what it means to be a man. And that's right. That's right. Exactly right. And then, because one of the other docket, one of the lot, the three things that were on the Thomas's, uh, it was, you know, Roe v. Wade, it was. Um, same-sex marriage but wasn't one of them contraceptives yes and and so it's just i don't it, what a backwards <laughs> it's just mind-boggling um taking mind- more and more agency out of it for the men well so so when i was uh getting my um responsibility would be a better word than agency mm. yes yeah, yeah yeah when i was getting um my graduate degree in ethics that we were looking at a group of academics that fell under the banner pro-life feminists. Hmm. And their argument was that abortion, um, that taking the conception um, <coughs> and the legal status of the fetus off the table, abortion legitimatizes male irresponsibility was hmm. one of their big arguments. That that if, if men w- took care with their... I mean, to your point, Tim, with their uh, sexual appetites and honored and supported women uh, that they had intimate relationships with and ended up getting pregnant instead of just offering to pay mm. for the procedure. And then if they and if the woman then says, well, no, I want to raise the baby, then the guy can say, well, I've offered I'm out. I have no mm. responsibility at all. So in a strange way, the conversation is about women, but it's also about the failure of men. Mm-hmm. Um, to be the, and, and not all, obviously, but in general, I mean, early on, one of the biggest supporters, the fundraisers of abortion was the Playboy Foundation. Hmm. And uh, because it, it really did provide um, a, a way for men to sort of offer and then excuse them from fatherhood, from hmm. all, of the, all of the responsibilities that would come from taking care of 
you know, somebody who they've um, impregnated and the offspring that would come from that. And I found that just super interesting. Uh, and that's part that I don't see a lot. Ever since I read that thread, I've sort of followed some of the um, the women who were kind of at the forefront of that. And, and there isn't a lot of cultural talk about the, the, the passion that men have about this that comes from a place of self-interest hmm. rather than genuine care for women. Right. You know what I mean? And I thought that was a really interesting tie-in to the point you were making. And then Bethany, good Lord, the, the, <laughs> the culture war motif that we've fallen into represents a catastrophic failure in the imagination of the church mm. and is antichrist 100%. You cannot be a culture warrior and follow the Sermon on the Mount. You just can't. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you, can be, you, know, you can be politically engaged and follow the Sermon on the Mount, but you cannot be a culture warrior demonizing your opponents, creating enemies, and, and thinking the ends justify the means. Mm. Um, so that's the lament. The lament isn't that there'll be fewer abortions. The lament is the way we're doing it um, is not a way that represents well the cruciform approach of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, for you, Bethany, what, I mean, what was it like for you hearing this? Like, was there a conflict for you and in yeah. you when, when this decision came down? What was your, what was your process and um, if you're willing to kind of share from your perspective, what, what's that journey been like for the last couple of weeks? Yeah, um, lots of conversations with lots of people. Uh, you know, even, yeah, it, it's been very interesting for sure. Um, I, I've never had an abortion. I've never been pregnant. I've never had my womb used to house another human being. Um, mm. Mm. And, but I'm also... I'm also very much about adoption. I have three kids that are adopted and um, I've lost adoptions that were, or potential adoptions that have come my way. And so there's a lot of uh, heartache there over the, over the years. Um, it's uh, yeah. I, th I think it's just been really interesting because of the fact that kind of, I think you guys were talking about this the other day about like that, uh, what is it called? That seven mountain, what is that thing called? Mandate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how this feels like, well, we're going to change the infrastructure up here and then it'll be a trickle down effect. But the right, fact of the right. matter is, is that is that Christ never started at the top and then there was a trickle down. He started at the bottom. And the problem with changing the top right now is that there's nothing at the bottom to hold what's going to be trickling down in the first place. Wow. So the, the, if we want to see, if we want to be culture warriors, which I hate that term and I don't think that that's who we're called to be, but if we want to like, if we want to change the culture as Christ followers from the Beatitudes sort of perspective, it has to start at the bottom. We have to actually like create spaces of safety and security for women and children and for men to experience um, what, like, what is possible, what can be possible. We don't have that right now. The church has failed tremendously in that account. Um, it doesn't mean that it'll always fail. I have hope for the church and I have hope for, for, uh, a newness that can rise up from this. I'm not hopeless. I, and, and there are a lot of wonderful churches doing wonderful things in, in different communities. And I, and I believe in the church. She is the hope of the world. Um, but there is, there is a, like a, a grossness within the church that many of us experience of the purity culture, blaming women for promiscuity and saying that women are the problem. Um, this is why you're pregnant because you, you know, couldn't, 
keep your pants on or whatever it is. Um, and then there's so much shame placed on women because of that as well. And so how are we going to be able to take care of this trickle down of, well, finally, we're not having any abortions. So we're finally going to be able to see all these babies when we don't have a place for women to actually land on that makes them feel safe in the first place. And the church has be, been so untrustworthy in being able to hold women's pain in those spaces. So mm. that, I mean, one of the reasons mm. that women don't reach out to the church for help is because we have been untrustworthy to help. We have been mm. uh, the blame casters and the finger pointers and the, and the finger waggers and saying that, well, you made your bed, now you have to live in it. How many abortions come from women and girls who were regular church attenders? And who weren't able to actually talk to their pastors about it or talk to church leaders wow. about what they were experiencing, wow. who were so afraid of sharing what they had going on because what would their parents think or what would the church think of their parents because they weren't raised right, obviously, since they Oof. got pregnant. And never once is it about, at least from my experience and what I've heard, never once has it been, well, where was the, where was the boy here? Where was the man? How, where is he in this? And even with, um, now I'm just on a high horse here, but do it, do it. Um, even in that picture of, of uh, I think it's John six, where the woman was caught in the act of adultery. Not once do we ever hear a man involved in that. Not right. only just the sadness of her husband being next to her, or maybe even he had a rock in his hand to throw at her, but the the man who was also caught in the act of adultery, yeah, he, he isn't held accountable. Yeah, there's no accountability, no responsibility needed for men in Jesus's day and today. Um, and I think that that's where we just, we are desperate to see change. So like creating these infrastructures and safety nets and care and, um, you know, having formula and diapers and free childcare and free healthcare, all these things are so important and it's all directed towards women and their children. But what is needed more than ever is that we actually hold men accountable. That when a woman gets pregnant, that she has somebody who is advocating for her. And if he is not advocating for her rights and make sure that she's taken care of, then that's when there's certain consequences that he will maybe have his part of his paycheck taken out of his pay. And, you know, there's, I don't know, there, there needs to be more. It needs to be more holistic. It's mm -hmm. not just about women. It's yeah. about the entire it's communal. Family. Yeah, it that's is communal. Right. Yeah. When, when, so, so you personally, were you ever involved in quote pro-life sort of yeah. stuff? <laughs> yeah, uh, I definitely marched in rallies and uh, as a little girl all the way through almost to high school, um, I would march in pro-life rallies and held signs and picketed Planned Parenthood and um, had all the righteous indignation towards those things. Um, yeah. I grew up in a conservative Baptist home and church. Um, <clears throat> my mom used to say, and I, 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 it's a, it's a fine argument, I guess, but she would always say, um, well, abortion isn't okay because two wrongs don't make a right. So mm. the, the wrongness of having sex outside of wedlock or um, of getting pregnant without being ready for a pregnancy and the wrongness of abortion doesn't make it right. Mm. Um, and that was kind of the argument that she would use. And I, I suppose I could see some of those things, but again, it's just, we're placing platitudes or placing um, 
a, a saying on top of real human beings in their actual lives yep. that and then the suffering that they are experiencing what and and did that ever change that your i don't know did you ever start to question your mom's wisdom on that or the the kind of righteous indignation you were carrying around and if so what yeah. what caused that yeah um i so i was homeschooled until uh until freshman year of high school and then i went to a conservative christian high school in the bay area and i just kept seeing this sort of inconsistency within christian circles towards people that didn't fit the mold so um anybody who was maybe smoking cigarettes or smoking weed or partying or um they wore their pants too low or whatever it was they didn't look the part of what it meant to be a good christian person would be watched and observed and um, could easily get into trouble and eventually get kicked out of this high school. Mm. And I remember being really frustrated with that because I, I kept thinking, you know, it seems like this Christian school should be the place where we get all the dropouts everywhere else. Like this should be the place where the, where those that are suffering or those that are, um, those that are getting into trouble left and right, this should be the place for them. This shouldn't be the place where the perfect are. This should be, you know, the hospital for the sick. Um, and I would always be like, I'd go into the office and I'd be advocating for my friends who were going to be kicked out. And I was always a good kid. So like, I was never in trouble, but, um, but man, I, so I think those sorts of inconsistencies, seeing that in the high school, seeing that in youth group, seeing that at my church, um, that this, that if you didn't fit the mold, you didn't belong. Mm -hmm. And the, and the, the same went for, uh, for women and men, like girls were treated so differently than the boys at the school. And they were seen as if there was, if there was any rumor about a girl doing something with a boy, two people at the same school, the girl would be dragged through the mud. She would be considered a slut ostracized in some ways. Um, the story would become something really big and horrible. And the guy was barely even mentioned. It's like yeah. he didn't even belong in the story whatsoever. And if he if he was mentioned, it was just like, a, oh, well, good for him. I'm glad he got that blowjob or whatever it was that happened. And it was just this, those sorts of, yeah, it was just this, this level of inconsistency. And it made me question, what about Christianity? What about Jesus? And what about the church do I actually affirm and believe in my own life? Mm -hmm. What can I actually hold on to? And what are the parts that make me really sad and sick and I cannot continue forth in? Mm -hmm. And abortion or not abortion necessarily, but the pro-life, pro-choice distinctions became a little bit muddied for me mm -hmm. in the same ways as like, you know, creation versus evolution got muddied and women in ministry got muddied. All, all those, those things that um, were very black and white in the beginning. Just, mm -hmm. I realized that there's more to it than those sorts of answers that I was handed as a kid. How, so, so the inconsistency was one piece of that, realizing yeah. it was more complicated. Was there another part? I mean, I, I don't know, this homeschooling curriculum or conservative Christian curriculum, 
typically talk about sexual education or reproduction or any (laughs) any of those sorts of things i mean maybe not from my experience uh and maybe there's more of a good sex education sort of curriculum out there but from my experience there wasn't anything like that uh when i was um when i was 17 i i remember messing around with a boy in a hot tub and i was late on my period and i was so scared that i was pregnant because I had no idea how a person could get pregnant necessarily. Yeah. Um, I figured if I was late, it was probably because he ejaculated in the hot tub and, and now I'm pregnant and what am I going to do? And so I didn't know who to call except Planned Parenthood because I heard that they had answers for pregnancies. So I called them and I was just like, this is what's happening. Does this mean I'm pregnant? And she said, it's very unlikely. Just wait a few days and see if you start your period. Um But at that point, I really questioned, like, if I'm pregnant, I will probably have to get an abortion. I don't know what I will do. I don't want to tell my parents. I don't want to tell anybody at the church. I don't feel like there's somebody that's safe that I can express this to. How do I share that I'm still a virgin, but now I'm pregnant? And, you know, all these, like, (laughs) things were going through my head. Um, But I was met with a lot of grace there. And then when I – and that was surprising. That was surprising for me to, to experience this phone call with Planned Parenthood, this place that I thought would, would I would experience all sorts of guilt or shame or um, fear. Um, and instead, I, it was like a sweet woman on the other side of the line. And then when I was 20, I was going to get married in the next like few months. And I heard that I needed to get on birth control and I didn't know where else to go to, to get on birth control. And so I went to Planned Parenthood and got signed up for some sort of free low income birth control pills. And, um, and I was just very cared for there as well. And I went into this place expecting to find like abortion marketing paraphernalia all over. And instead what I saw was a lot of family planning, um, a lot of women's health information, information on STDs, um, information on how to adopt and how to uh, place your baby up for adoption or make an adoption plan. And there was stuff on abortion, but it, it, it was not the first thing. Now, I never went in pregnant. So I know that some people have experienced going in pregnant and the first thing they're told is, well, the, the, the abortion is the right thing. I've heard stories like that, but from my experience, it was just kindness and care and compassion. I felt seen for myself instead of being like some sort of um, baby making machine or something like that. I just, I yeah. felt very cared for. And and yeah. the family and the church, the places that should be safe for those convos never entered your mind, I would imagine. Not even, not even a little bit, unfortunately. <laughs> and so I've, I, you know, as a pastor, I've wanted to continually create spaces where women feel safe and honored and cared for um, regardless of their past, present or future circumstances. Um, and that, that the, the, the church should be the safest and most wonderful place to have these sorts of conversations. And instead, mm. it has been one that is untrustworthy untrust, or sweeping it under the rug or just not knowing how to deal with, um, with something that we were told is black and white and might not be as black and white. One of the things, I mean, first of all, man, thank you, yeah. Bethany, for sharing that. Um what's the adoption journey been like? Because, you know, part of, and and I know, man, there, there are tons of personal friends and acquaintances 
who have adopted out of foster care. Yeah. I mean, because that was really the that was the step. If we're going to provide an alternative, that has to come from the adoption yeah. process. And um, and that adoption story's really been mixed uh, for uh, lots of people. It wasn't the glamorous show them how much Jesus loves them story that maybe I thought it might have been. What's it been like for you? Um, yeah, you know, when, when, I, when we started the adoption process, um, I was still under that, under a lot of like the Christian mentality that, um, that we're looking to be, a, to be wanted and desired by God. And the way that God will want and desire us is by the good things that we do. Like, you know, the whole mm-hmm. gold stars in heaven, that sort of thing. Like, okay, God's pleased with me. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm on, I'm on the, the fast path towards heaven. And I remember going towards adoption and having those like weird thoughts in the back of my head. Like, I'm doing the right thing for Jesus. This is the right mm-hmm. thing to do, which is so gross to think about now. But it is definitely that, that sort of thinking was ingrained in my mind in many, mm-hmm. in many ways. Um, but when we found out with, that we couldn't have biological children, we, you know, looked into all sorts of different options for that and how to get pregnant. Um, and we just mm-hmm. really felt like we were meant to adopt and we always wanted to adopt, but it was always in our minds, it was always like kind of second best to yeah. having biological uh, children. I first of yeah. all, I can't imagine how painful that must've been. Yeah. I can't, I don't want to slide by that without going, oh my goodness, Bethany, I cannot <laughs> imagine. I'm so yeah. sorry. Thank you. It, oh, it really was. It's, um, ew, there's a, sorry, just one oh, second. I got to get this thing off of me. What um, is it? It's a tick from my cat. I oh. know. No, oh. I'm just going to wow. kind of smash Real it. World, We're Northern keeping California. this in here. We're keeping yeah. this in here. Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, um, we are pro no, life except in the case of ticks. <laughs> ticks. Um, yeah, it was it was a very painful experience, a painful season, and it still is sometimes. Um, you know, being being forty three, there's like this reality that pregnancy is not is not happening for me, and mm-hmm. um, and I, I you know you hear I've heard time and again that you just need to adopt because then I know so many people who adopted and then they got pregnant. Well, I mean, there's definitely those stories out there, but it's not like, it's not yeah. the, the common or like the actual, you know, the, the truth yeah. of it. The, right. the, anyway, so we, um, we definitely grieved for quite some time. We oh, grieved the loss of bearing children together and grieved the, um, the expectations that we had or the future that we had envisioned for ourselves. And then, um, and then we started the process of what it looked like to become adoptive parents. And it's a long process. It takes a year long home study where you get background checks and, mm-hmm. um, and income verification. And uh, you need to get references to make sure that you are the right person for yeah. another person's child. Um, and, and then we, hooked up with an agency in the, in uh, Southern California and started that whole process and got chosen right away for our first adoption, Mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty amazing. Most people seem to wait for five or six years to be chosen. Um, And, and then a month later we had to uh, give him back. The father was very adamant about fighting 
for his son's rights. And we just did not feel like we were, um, we had to, we, we didn't feel like we were, we didn't feel like the Lord was saying that we should fight for this father's rights and it didn't feel right to us to do so. So that was really mm. hard to oh, my have word. enough. Yeah. So we had him for a month, our first little guy. Um, oh, <clears throat> he was, <clears throat> he was placed in two different families, two different times. Uh, we all had fought the father recent, like for a month or so. And then about a year later, we saw that he was, that he was placed with his dad and his dad was able to keep him. So that was, that's a fa fascinating story right there. Um, and then we had about 13 other adoptions come our way in the course of nine months that were um, wow. all unsuccessful uh, there for births and all the things. Um, oh my word. Yeah. Yeah. And then we moved to Humboldt and started a church and we had no money and uh, nothing left no emotional space left or anything. And um, my son, Isaac, his birth mom called us and his, his mom was in um, my parents' Bible study. And she said, this is who I am. Uh, she had, she had known that we were, that we were like the adopting type type or something. She had found out when she had just found out she was pregnant. And, um, oh, and so the whole time she was pregnant, she was thinking about us. And hmm. we said, we're so sorry. We cannot adopt your baby because we had just moved up to Humboldt to start this church. We had no jobs. We had no money. We didn't even have a place to live. We were living on our friend's couch. Oh, and she's wow. like, well, I think that you're supposed to adopt him. So I'll call you back next month. And so <laughs> we, we uh, got jobs and everything, got a house and um, drove down to the Bay Area and met Isaac. And um, I had known his birth mom beforehand. Um, and, sh and we were able to bring him home. And then after that, we became foster parents. Um, and started the whole fostering process, which takes about six months to a year of additional classes beyond your home study. There's just a lot of trauma in adoption and especially in the foster system. And so they, they want you to be prepared before you say yes to, to fostering children. Mm -hmm. And so we became foster parents and fostered a few kids and adopted two of them. Um, and the entire time, what has been incredibly important to Jason and I is to have open adoptions for our kids to, to know their families of origin, to love their birth moms, to be able to, um, to spend time with their birth moms. Uh, our son's birth mom spent Christmas with us. She would spend the night at our house. Um, my, my daughter's birth mom and her just went on this long trail ride through uh, on horseback riding last week by themselves and or with a group, but um, trying to foster as much of the extended family as possible is really hard and really good work. And mm. not everybody can do that. Not every, not every family of origin is safe or, um, or healthy enough to, to be in relationship with your kids. That's totally fine. Hopefully they'll get there. But um, that was, that's been a really important thing for us to experience and to have. But it's not easy. Adoption is not some sort of like easy um, Christian, religious sort of shiny thing that we're doing. Honestly, um, and I, I, this is, maybe this is really bad theology, but throughout the, throughout the Bible and especially with Pauline language, Paul uses the the words of adoption all of the time. And so when we think of the words of adoption, we we do place it as this like really righteous, beautiful thing because 
Paul talks about us being adopted into God's family. So if we're adopted into God's family, then of course adoption is like the highest form of godlyhood that we can have. However, I think adoption is God's contingency plan. I don't think that adoption was what God originally intended. I think that God originally intended for human beings and God to have an unbroken relationship together. And because of the fall, adoption is the way that we can reunify ourselves back to the family of God. It is not God's best. Hmm. I think God's best is for the family to stay together. And, you know, I could get in trouble for that for sure, but um, I don't think that adoption is the best thing for kids. I think the best Hmm. thing for kids is is our parents who are able to love them and support them and health and be healthy in themselves. Um, and not everyone can do that. And so the backup plan is adoption. Mm, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And you're not yeah. going to tr- trouble here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're good. Cool. Yeah. There's a lot of threads to pull on that, that I think are really interesting. Cause I think what you just said makes a lot of sense. And, so when you follow that through and what the implications are for building, for people being healthy, for people being edified and fulfilled, for people being supported to have those families and to be in safe spaces where we culture or we build a culture and an environment that breeds healthy families that that, you know what I mean? Like the implications yeah. just go out and out and out and out and out and out and out. Um, I have a question for you guys as pastors with this whole conversation um uh you know in doing ministry or i was talking to a friend with youth ministry the other day and what i think is so interesting about deconstruction and we've talked so much about it is just this idea of asking somebody like if you really think that this story is true if you like at night and are looking at the stars and you think there is this big deity this cosmic entity that exists and created all this stuff and thought humanity was so cool or such a a worthy investment to become one and come down here and you break it all the way down to that that jesus is who jesus says he was how uh how does that reframe going forward back through the gospels and everything of who it really is jesus really is and then who you are as a christ follower so my question is with gray areas um, and Beth, you just said such a good job of framing that in, in the adoption conversation that this, there are, there is so few black and white. There's just so much that you have to like navigate and make the, the most wise decisions you can and be like, just so invested in discernment with how you're navigating X, Y, Z, and then all the other letters of the alphabet. <laughs> so the question is what your guys' opinions are as shepherds, like within this conversation about abortion and about creating systems that um, men are more held accountable, that people can, that church can become the safe place for women who are in situations where they, they like your, the story that you told, like Planned Parenthood was safe, church was not. It should be that church is safe not flipping it, Planned Parenthood should stay safe, but <laughs> the church should also be a number one option for people. We have so many pastors who write in asking about the center set mindset. How do I do this? How do I do that? Mm. Um, we just did an email, I don't know, an episode or two ago that was about uh, a pastor who was trying to figure out how to navigate the LGBTQ conversation with his um, prayer warrior team. 
um, and you know the pastors who are trying to figure out how to restructure church. Bethany, you said it. Um, uh, Susie said it too, and Susie said this a couple weeks ago, and it's been stuck in my head since then. That she said, because my tendency is like nothing's working. Let's blow the church up. This model doesn't work anymore. Let's mm. burn it to the ground. Susie's like, I still think that plan A is the best option, mm. meaning church. And that has been stuck in my head since she said it, because I think she's right. And, uh, but then that requires a huge amount of work and restructuring and conversation and investment, yada, yada, yada. So the question is something like, you know, miscarriages. Mm. I don't think that was probably God's design either right but it's a reality of the world that we live in um you know abortion may have not been god's design but is the reality of the world that we live in as we like we like to use black and white rhetoric because i think a like bethany like you said earlier it helps us build things to fight against and to have true enemies that are easily definable and easy to just say nasty things about but it seems like we're in more turbulent waters than that. We're not just in this, you know, black and white thing. It's we're in turbulent waters. How do you guys, when you think about building a church or structuring a church or steering a church, um, and that still being the best option that we have as being a light in the world or whatever, how do you really see in this gray world, in these turbulent waters, steering a ship full of congregants or people into a place where that church does become the safest place where mm. Christians are not seen as um, people that are trying to take away and force and um, belittle and segregate and that kind of stuff. How do you guys see for pastors across the country or the world rebuilding this thing or re-steering this thing or doing it in a way that will foster that environment? It's a very long question. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think that's a really good question uh, because as spiritual leaders, there is an expectation that we will be able to hold space for people. And I think the church and a lot of people have expected the church and leaders to have answers for their questions. So, maybe they'll come to the church if they feel safe enough and they'll ask what the answer is to their hard situation, whatever it is, even if it's an abortion, keeping a child, whatever it is. Um, and there's an, there's an expectation for the leader to give the answer and then for them to walk away with whatever it is that they need to do. Hmm. And the same thing as like when we were all teenagers and we asked our youth group leader, like how far is too far? And we were looking <laughs> for a very specific answer. Yeah. And unfortunately there's not one all the time. And when I look at Jesus, it seems like every time he was asked a question, he seemed to most of the time answer with a question, almost returning it back to the person, um, almost expecting the person to be able to know how to answer it for themselves, maybe trusting that person's intuition and wisdom that the Imago Dei places within each of us. And, and as Christians, and I think that this is the, this is the hardest thing is because this is a policy, a government mandated policy that is very um, God-based, Bible-based, Bible I guess, in some degree, uh, over our country. So, a lot of people are really upset at Christians for making this happen because this is a Christian thing instead of a 
human thing for people who are not Christian. Hmm. So, from the Christian hmm. perspective, if somebody is coming to me asking questions or needing answers, I would love to help them tap into the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to guide them in the ways that the Holy Spirit always does. Um, because this is a, if, if this is a Christian thing, then we, we have to trust that the Holy Spirit will guide, will guide the people that sometimes I might not have the answers for. And I don't think I should have the answers for all the time as well. And the minute I believe I do have the answers is the minute that I've kind of like elbowed the Spirit out and placed myself as the final authority in a person's life. And that's not my role or my job. And it's a little bit idolatrous. And it's something that I find myself wanting to do from time to time because I like yeah. being the hero in somebody's story. Mm. Bam. <laughs> That's really good. And Bethany, I think you embody um, one of the things I would say in response to Tim, which is to have women in public, visible, authoritative roles in every area of the church. Mm. With real power, real authority, um, in uh, in a collaborative environment where all of that intuition and all of that sensitivity is not only welcomed but you know prioritized. Mm. Um, and then and then for me, Tim, you know the things that are constantly in my brain as a shepherd. <laughs> I do not consider myself a shepherd. Um, are things like the co the community of God is the focus of the New Testament, not the world. Hmm. So my my ultimate the ultimate imaginative um, and energizing focus that I have isn't about how to fix the world. It's about what the church can do to be a healthy community, and and so much of that are the embodying the practices of shalom. Hmm. Right, forgiveness, reconciliation, honesty, lament. Um, so there's a ton invested there. For me, it's also becoming a cruciform person and yielding rights in order to expend myself for the sake of other people. And then the third thing is to put into practice and embody new creation dynamics that uh, and put resist old creation dynamics that you know would define things in culture war terms. And instead to put on the fact that there are far larger issues than political outcomes. And that the goal of the resurrected people of God isn't to achieve certain policy uh, positions, but rather to embody the same grace that Jesus gave us to others, which according to Jesus himself means that there was rain for the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And so I don't get to discriminate uh, about who gets invited to the Lord's table and who doesn't. I'm there as a gift recipient and only that. And so mm. who am I to judge other recipients of the great gift? So in that matrix, I think discernment can be done, but only in that matrix. Us sitting with one other person or us sitting um, trying to figure it out on our own, I think is the least healthy and, and, and biblically faithful way of navigating some of these issues. It has to be done in community. Um, in that community has to have representation um, mm -hmm. in, in order mm -hmm. for all points of view to be brought to the table and equally considered. Yeah. yeah. That's Teaching what I'm discernment saying. is such an interesting, I, I keep coming back to that. And, and when Bethany, when you brought up the way that Jesus mm -hmm. would, 
you know, it's therapy, right? It's uh, <laughs> answering a question with a question mm. to provoke someone to really work through and inhabit what the answer is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a, you know, it's, it's a profound thing because you have to, in that process, you have to, you're forced to sort through instead of just being like, Hey, I need an answer to this question so that I can write it on my notepad so that I have rules and laws to live by Mm -hmm. or that I have rhetorical responses that I can just throw at people. Instead, it's like, what happens when you embody the response and you embody the answer? And Jesus did that. Like he was constantly like, well, I don't know, like da, 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 and and making people Mm -hmm. really invest in understanding what it was. And, you know, the church model has become more someone talks and you go home. I just, I made my wife sit down with me the other day and be like, I need you to explain to me pedagogically how people learn why and what the best teaching practices are. And then I need you to take a step back and think about that on Sunday morning and show me how, uh, if, if I want to achieve X, Y, and Z on Monday more on Sunday morning with a group of people and how that works from a pedagogical standpoint. And so we had an hour and a half long conversation where I was just taking notes and she was breaking down. This is how this works in the classroom, but this is how this might work in an effective way on Sunday morning so that people aren't just being like, that was great. And they bail and then they wait for that great kind of thing. Mike's pep rally for Jesus the next Sunday morning, but instead like uh, learning how to inhabit the conversation so that they actually walk out Sunday morning with pieces of something that causes them to move forward or causes them to change or causes them to understand theme or causes them to whatever your goal is. Um, I think that's just such an profound and interesting concept, like teaching people discernment or critical thinking, or just being able to inhabit a place where they can interact with information and understand what it means to be Christ-like in this world is a really a profound and terrifying job yeah. that you guys have. Congratulations. Oh, don't don't pretend like you get out of it, Stafford. When you I ask these, oh, you shepherds, dear listener, dear, dear singular listener, listener Stafford our singular is, listener is here. She's in the room. <laughs> Stafford is more of a shepherd than Erie could ever be, and everyone knows that. Oh yes, that, we'll just take a poll. You're in crisis. <laughs> Who do you go to, Tim or Mike? The, the answer, answer is, is Tim. Of us. By, well, yeah, the answer is Bethany, but <laughs> we limited that. Oh my goodness, Tim! Like, like, dude, you're so shepherding. Don't even, pretend. All right. don't even pretend. Move I'm along. calling you out. Move along. All right. Well, Bethany, man, yeah. we appreciate you. Thank you for just adding some flavor and some depth and richness to this conversation. That we, I, there's just nothing in my universe that can understand some of the things that you've gone through. And I'm just mm. so grateful for your generosity and sharing, you know, your story and wisdom as we process this together. It's just, it embodies something that we think is so central to the way of Jesus, which is this, you know, divine image is found in male and female together. It's not, it's not just um, a singular gender out there floating along thinking they've got it figured out. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And You're and welcome. again, Bethany, where can people find you? You're getting ready. You got sermon prep to do now. So where can they tune in for sermon, for Bethany's sermons? Where do they go? Uh, you can find it on YouTube. You'd have to look up Catalyst Church Humboldt. And that's H-U-M-B-O-L-D-T. Um, 
And so Catalyst Church Humboldt is where the sermons usually are. I'm on uh, Instagram and Facebook as well, Bethany, Bethany Nass Shea, and that's C-S-E-H on Instagram. The fact that Seth Erie Mm -hmm. knows it's Bethany Shea, one word, is very impressive. He was saying that early when he was like, it's Bethany Shea, Bethany Shea. (laughs) So I'm just saying like, when you get lodged in his brain, that's a big deal. Because it oh. does once it's in there, it doesn't leave. And I can say that both <laughs> positively and negatively. I feel very honored. Very honored. <laughs> All right. So anyway, dear listener, thanks for tuning in. We love you guys. And um, and you're the best. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also Join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology Podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.